Welcome to Hope for the Heart. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation. Today we are once again in chapter 12, and let me read to you the context so you'll know where we are. We're in chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Now whether I will get to all those verses or not, I do not know. But let me read just the first two verses so we can go ahead and begin digging into this text. The Word of God reads, beginning in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Now, I want to stop right there because it goes into a, a second part here, and I, I may have to cover that next week. But I want to look at this because it is a very interesting section, and it has to do, once again, with Satan and the war that we mentioned in verse six, 7, the war in heaven, and uh, Michael and his angels win that war. Satan and his demons or his angels do not win. And as a result of that, we have the fact of verse 7, uh, that, that, that war happens. But in verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And so this is the, the result of what's happened there. And so in many ways, verses uh, 7 through 17, or actually verses 13 through 17 is an answer to verse 6. Verse 6 says, The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. That equals three and a half years, just like this other passage that says in verse 14, nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. That equals three and a half years as well. So we're looking at this period of time. We're looking at the result of Satan being kicked out of heaven. And this would be the first. Uh, there's only two real points I want to give here. Uh, because I remember I'm not worried about this being as sermonic as teaching material. So I want to look at just the first attack. and the first Or the first wave that happens. Look at verse 13. And the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, we've already studied that in verses 7 to 9. Michael and his angels, remember, waged war, and the dragon and his angels waged war. Uh, and so we, 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 we looked at that very carefully. Actually, the indication is that the dragon and his angels started this war. And uh, they were not strong enough. There's no place, no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Now, the end of verse 9, and his angels were thrown down with him. And, of course, they come down to earth, thrown down, it says in verse 9, to the earth. Uh, I suggested to you uh, last time and the time before that it's very possible that that could have been initiated by the rapture of the church as the saints are moving through the uh, this uh, area or of, the, of what Satan is in, in control of. And Michael and his angels uh, stop that and allow them to go on through. We just don't know. It's a hard thing to know. But something starts this war that we've mentioned in chapter 12, 
verse 7. When it says there was war in heaven, well, there's always they've been uh, warring, but this one is different. This one is going to result in the casting out. And so he's thrown down to the earth and he has some seven-year period or three-and-a-half-year period. We're not sure exactly the timing because John does not reveal that to us. Uh, I would assume he's been here before and probably is here for the full seven years, although we don't need to be dogmatic. But needless to say, he is going to be here in full fury the last three and a half years. But he's down here for a period of time to unleash, I believe, his final strategy. It does involve setting up a human leader uh, known as the Antichrist, and he'll have forces or armies behind him. Uh, He'll enter into a covenant with Israel. This is the beginning of the tribulation period. And this individual uh, will will actually sign that covenant. That's why I believe Satan's probably down uh, here already at the beginning of the tribulation period so that he can move into the life of this individual and have him do what he wants him to do. Uh, Mainly the covenant signing, which Daniel chapter 9 sets up that for us. But in the... Mark it in your mind that the persecution will begin before midpoint of the tribulation. I know so many writers talk about the time that uh, angel, uh, Satan and his demons land to earth will be midway through the tribulation period. And that may or may not be, but I do think there's a lot going on before the midpoint of the tribulation period. And there will be a lot of uh, persecution already happening, which we saw in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Now, it seems that the persecution begins before midpoint, like I said, but the midpoint is when it focuses on Israel. Up to that point, uh, there's a treaty between the Antichrist and Israel, and that's when the full-blown persecution really starts. But uh, first of all, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, what does it say? He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, and that's in verse 13. And we're told that... uh, uh, in, in the previous verses, verses 1, 2, and 5, that the woman is Israel. We made that clear. The male child is Christ, the coming Messiah, the one who will rule the nations with the rod of iron. So Satan eventually will concentrate probably 100% of his efforts on Israel. Now, verse 13 says he persecuted. The Greek word there means to pursue or to chase or to hunt. Uh, the idea here implies hostile forces, which is usual uh, is is the usual usage of this verb in the New Testament. And we will find more details about that in chapter 13. I, I don't want to go into chapter 13 right now, even though it would be very easy for me to do that. Uh, so we'll, we'll save that for them. But he goes after Israel. He pursues them to the death, as many as he can kill. That's what he wants to do. Now, now Jesus himself warned them, about that, I think the first wave of this attack is is mentioned to us in Matthew chapter twenty four. Uh, it's a very familiar text. Text in verse fifteen, when the abomination of desolation is spoken of by Daniel the prophet, happens the immediate response. Verse sixteen of Matthew twenty four, let those in Judea, uh, it says, run or flee. Why? Because he's going to chase you. Let them flee to the mountains. Don't even go back to your house if you're on the roof. Don't go down and and gather your your belongings or anything you might want to carry with you. If you're in the field, don't go back and get your coat, your coat or your clothing. If you have babies that you're trying to nurse, woe to you and pray that your flight's not in the winter or on the Sabbath because there's coming a great tribulation time. 
It's going to be so great that it has never been in the history of the world to this point. The days, in fact, Revelation even talks about this. The days are cut short or else no one would even survive for the sake of the elect. And I believe that's a reference to the elect of Israel as well as the other believers from the Gentile nations, but certainly, more significantly, this refers to Israel. After all, this is a period of time known as the Great Tribulation Period. Uh, The whole Tribulation Period is seven years, but the Great Tribulation Period is the last three and a half. And I think it's uh, specifically for the Jews, as we have already mentioned. And so he says you've got to run because he's going to come after you. And one way Satan is going to try to, uh, to, to do this is to send false Christs, false prophets, false signs, false wonders. He's going to try to lure these people back, believing that, the, that they might come back, uh, thinking that the Messiah is here, the Messiah has arrived, so don't be fooled, Jesus said. Mark 13 also speaks of the same event. Uh, some people have referred to other verses that do not speak of this, that speak more directly to uh, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But this is talking about fleeing uh, from the abomination of desolation. In this fleeing, in this chasing by Satan, there's going to be people in this world who are going to help Israel. And that's always been so interesting to me that they, uh, they help them. It's like if it happened right now, I don't know how many would jump in and help but I think it will be more than a humanitarian thing. I think it's going to be a spiritual thing. And they're going to be drawn into helping Israel. Uh, Matthew chapter 25 is a great chapter. And I don't want to get into all of Matthew chapter 25. But Matthew chapter 25 seems to be talking about this in, in specific. The sheep and the goat a judgment that will be after his second coming uh, before the entrance of the kingdom. Uh, the We call it the sheep and goat judgment. All the nations are going to be gathered before him, and he'll separate them one from another as the sheep are separated from the goats. Puts the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. The sheep represents the saved, the elect, believing. The goats represent the unbelieving. And so the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father, enter the kingdom prepared for you. And that will be, they'll be ushered right into the kingdom. You say, well, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Well, I bring this up because uh, there is some interesting verbiage here that talks about people helping the nation of Israel when they needed help. You're the chosen, you're redeemed, it's just to the saved. You're not just, not just Jews, but all of those that are saved, you're still around at that time. Why are you saved? Well, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. This is what the judgment is going through. These are the questions during the judgment. I was thirsty. You gave me to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. This is the judgment of the nations. And these are particular sheep out of the Gentile world. And he's saying to them, the reason you're going to go into the kingdom along with my elect nation, Israel, along with the believing Jews who are also going into the kingdom, is because of the way you handle this situation. The reason you're going in, he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, thirsty, to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. So that that kind of language seems to fit perfectly this event. Can I be dogmatically sure about that? Uh, Well, it looks that way to me. Uh, You can take that as being dogmatic if you like. Uh, You know what I believe this points out? I believe it points out that the Gentile nations are going to come to the aid of Israel. And there again, it's more than just a humanitarian feeling sorry for Israel, I think that will be there. 
But I think uh, it's going to be a spiritual thing where they are drawn by the Spirit of God to help them. I do think that most of the people of the world are going to know that Antichrist is after the nation of Israel. And so it's going to be a very interesting thing. But in verse 41, to the ones on the left, they have to depart from him. He calls them, you cursed ones, because they did not respond. They did not give anything to eat. They did not give drinks or, or protection. And so you see this pursuit as the Jews flees, flee from their lives that the Antichrist and the false prophet operating under the power of the dragon are going to go out and slaughtering these people, and the world that comes to the aid of them will be on the right side of this judgment that's going to happen. Now, back in Revelation chapter 12, we, uh, we're going to see some assistance, but that's not all in Revelation 12. I want you to see something here. It says in verse 14, and then this is a very interesting section too. Uh, I hope that you've got your Bible and you can look at this. Because some people say, aha, this is the place where America is mentioned in prophecy. I wanted to show it to you. Uh, Verse uh, 14 in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, it says, uh, of course, 13 is the the great dragon or Satan himself or the Antichrist and the prophets are coming after the Jews. It says, and the, the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for three and a half years. Now, I just want to read you from uh, Arnold Frutenbaum's book, The Footsteps of the Messiah, who writes about this, and he says in, in, in verse 14, Israel flees into the wilderness where she is nourished for three and a half years. The figure of the two wings of the great eagle have provided fertile ground for speculation among newspaper exegesis. In other words, people who exegete the, the news instead of exegeting the scriptures. Amazingly, the wings of the eagle have been identified uh, as the United States Air Force, the American Air Force. After all, the eagle is a symbol of the United States, and so it would appear that America Air Force will help the Jews escape. Now, I have seen that in so many writings and articles, especially lately, with all of the signs and the tension in the world and the, the so seemingly uh, decaying of America, the America just going further and further down. So many people are writing about America in prophecy, yet we're going to still be a major force because we're going to be able to help Israel. And then I see this kind of information. But I want you to know, and I'm going to try to make this clear, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what this is saying at all. I think other nations also use the eagle as a symbol. And for some reason, their air forces are ignored, as it has been stated in the very beginning of this study, uh, which is what Frutenbaum is saying. I'm still quoting from Frutenbaum. He says here that the same figure is found in Exodus 19.4 and Deuteronomy 32.11 in connection with the Exodus from Egypt. Obviously, Moses did not have the help of the United States Air Force, uh, at least not that we know of. This figure then is to be, uh, this figure of speech is is, uh, then to be explained by its usage elsewhere. It describes a successful uh, escape due to divine intervention. And I think uh, Arnold Frutenbaum is right on there. I think that's exactly what he's saying. Listen to what uh, uh, James... Uh, John MacArthur says, he says, the imagery is actually taken from. He doesn't refer to the American Air Force. He says it's actually taken from Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. And, uh, and, and then in, 
He says here, he quotes that. He says, you yourselves have seen, says the Lord, what I did to the Egyptians. He's talking to Moses here. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The eagles' wings then becomes a metaphor for God delivering his people. Well, I don't want to make much of a a, a thing about this because, uh, you know, we can't be dogmatic in, in, in so much of prophecy. But I think when this talks about the same imagery this talks about here, we find it in Exodus, and we know that the United States Air Force wasn't around then. Uh, I think it makes perfectly good sense. You remember the whole force of the Egyptian army under the leadership of Pharaoh was coming after Israel, and God says, I picked you up as on the wings of an eagle and flew you to safety. Well, you have a choice here when you read something like that. Did he literally do that, or is this a figure of speech that... He, he uses to say that I can do whatever I want to do. And I think that's exactly what he does. Wings in Scripture speak of strength. I think that's important to know. They speak of speed. We see that. We see that in the book of Habakkuk when he talks about that. We see it in relation to other animals being related to speed. But mostly, and they even speak of protection, such as hovering wings, but mostly they speak of flight to safety. And I think it's very important to see because we can get off on a, a tangent here, off in a, in a wild uh, space here trying to make things fit prophecy that really are not made to fit prophecy. I think we have to be very careful. Now, I'm not try, trying to throw water on somebody's uh, book or on somebody's pamphlet, and I know there's some out there right now and that, that are, are thinking that. But I want you to see Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. He spreads his wings, uh, he spreads his wings and caught them. He spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. And this is what he's saying. He made them ride on the high places of the earth. Here again is this imagery of an eagle involved in the protection and the care of the people of Israel. So why can't it happen again? In fact, it can happen again. I think when it says here the two wings of the great eagle in verse 14 of Revelation 12 were given to the woman, in other words, given to Israel, in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place is is saying, basically, God can do whatever he wants to do. Now, if some flock of big birds wants to fly down to, uh, fly over to Israel and literally pick them up and carry them on their wings, you know, God can do that. You say, well, he can't do that. He can do that. God can do whatever he wishes, whenever he wishes, however he wishes, to whomever he wishes to do it. That is called God being sovereign, God being God. And so this great eagle, of course, is the largest known bird known to them at these times. These birds flew in the highest and flew fastest. Isaiah comments about this, these eagles, doesn't he? In chapter 40, verse 31, where he talks about mounting up as eagles. Well, the term eagle actually 
is probably making reference not to what we know as the bald eagle or the American eagle, but to another kind of bird that in ancient times was called a gryphon. A gryphon was a huge bird, a type of vulture-like creature, actually, that was four feet long and had a ten-foot wingspan. That's pretty big. And that was the grand and great imagery of the eagle who, who would come and take them away. The Lord then is not only going to deliver them by protection of believing Gentiles, but the Lord himself is going to provide some way of escape. Well, I think that's all you really need to understand in that. That's really all verse 14 is saying. If you just take some, some of these papers and articles and things I've seen lately, if you just take the United States out of that, you see, basically, in verse 14, the two wings of the eagle were given to, the, to Israel in order that she might fly to her place through speed. In other words, she's going to move quickly through there. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's an airplane, which it very well could be airplanes. It very well could be a country sending their jets by or of, uh, passenger jets to pick up as many as possible. And, and deliver them. But here's another thing. It won't be as many as possible. It will be every single one that God wants to be there. So what does it mean? Well, does it mean some kind of airlift? I don't know. Uh, the, something is going to fly them into the desert. It's an actual bird. I don't know. Uh, it could be a, a literal bird. Uh, somehow God is not only going to help and care and uh, with sympathy with, for this nation of Israel, uh, but he's going to use Gentile nations, and if he wants to use big birds, he can use big birds, or he can use countries with airlines. That's what he can do. Remember back in verse 6, look at verse 6 of chapter 12. It says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. In other words, God has already got that place. You think God's going to wait till then? No. God already knows the place where he's going to take, exactly who's going to go. He knows exactly every single person going, and he knows how they're going to get there. I think that one of the important pictures here is that Satan is going to use the Antichrist and his forces to chase them, to go after them. Uh, he's going to flee after them, and they're going to be leaving. They're leaving uh, because Satan is chasing them. And she fled, in verse 6 it says, into the wilderness where she had a place prepared. God knows about this for three and a half years. This is going to, is this the exact midway of the tribulation? I think it is. I think this is the abomination of desolation that Matthew chapter 24 talks about. Daniel chapter 9 talks about. Uh, Mark 13 talks about, and I think all of these are exactly what they are referring to. They say, well, where is that place? Well, we have a lot of good uh, information on where that place is. Uh, but most of it is contained in Revelation chapter 13, so I really don't want to jump into Revelation chapter 13. But needless to say, we don't know for sure where the place is. Uh, some people think they know it's going to be the rose-red city of the, of the dead called Petra. In fact, uh, some people have, have given other places for this. They claim that they have taken Bibles there in the certain, and there's caves there. Uh, and you say, well, the first thing I always say was, won't Satan know about where they are? Well, here's the thing. 
Satan will know. In fact, look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman. He is going to be allowed to persecute the woman. Many will die during this time. But the ones that are to be saved are going to be fleeing. And let me tell you something. Satan can't get them. It doesn't matter what he knows. It doesn't matter if he knows the exact uh, GPS location of where they are. He can't get them. Uh, Can he get a helicopter and just go after them? Well, no. I don't know why. He just can't because they're being protected by God. Now, the term wilderness generally refers to the land east of Jerusalem as well. You'll notice what's going to happen. It says she's going to fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished. That literally means fed. She'll be fed there. Now, you've got a remnant of believing Jews, those who've come to Christ, and perhaps those who have not yet come, but they're going to, uh, they will come to Christ. So, this is all taking place here. Part of that coming to faith may be occurring in this wilderness place. It's going to be, remember, after this is over, after this period of time is over, after they have fleed in and been protected, remember, it gives us the length in two different spots, verse 6 and verse 14, that this is going to be three and a half years. So at the end of that time, they are going to be in front of the sheep-goat judgment and then ushered into the kingdom. That's the order there. So this is getting real close to the end, and we can see that coming to faith there is going to be interesting because a lot of people fleeing at that point may still not be saved, but they will come to know Christ during that time. Because remember, it says all Israel will be saved. Those left at that particular time. What exact time are we talking about? You can't pin it down. Are we talking about the end? I think we're talking about the beginning of the sheep-goat judgment. All that are left, all that have the confession of who Jesus is at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I think, by the way, Daniel spoke of this time in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. You can go back and read that if you want to. But Satan basically realized this. Satan can't get him. They're out there. It doesn't really matter where they are or what they're wearing or whether they're in a cave or not. Some people, the way I read some people's writing, it's as though they're hiding in a dark cave so nobody can see them, and Satan's out there looking for them. Well, no, I don't think that's going to be the the way it is or not. I think the point is that Satan can't get them. They're out there. They're in their place. God is nourishing them for three and a half year period and probably more or more are fleeing there all the time as they come to faith. They're hearing about this and they're slow to get there. Maybe they've been held up somewhere, but I do think that they will be coming. And so some who haven't yet come to faith are running with them because, remember now, the Antichrist, Satan working through him, wants to kill all of them. So, that is an important thing. But then there's a a second wave of attacks that's going to happen. The first one is in verse 14, but the second one is in verse 15. Now, I don't know if I want to get into verse 15 because I want to save this because uh, I can end out on this one on the next time and, and, and cover that in more detail because I already feel like I'm just... I feel like instead of the Israel flying into the wilderness, I feel like I am flying through this text. And so I, I want to slow my the, the, this jet down and, and, and get to where I can uh, 
uh, hopefully not take you uh, too too far into this before you can catch your breath. But you can see this is a tremendous point of a, a, a text found in the scriptures uh, of prophecy that is is given to us, and it is a a, a very uh, informative section, one that I don't think we need to rush through, even though I know it seems as though I am rushing through. But there is this this, this taking place. And remember, though, this is future. It hasn't happened yet. This will come after the rapture of the church. This will be during sometime during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period that Satan will be cast out of heaven to the earth realizing he's, he's no longer prince of the power of the air. He's confined to the earth, him and his demons, and they are going to unleash unbelievable havoc, or as you could say, hell upon this earth, trying to get to all of God's people and to stop people from uh, trusting Christ and to bring a charred testimony or, or, or ruining people's testimony in any way trying to hinder the work of God. I think it's going to be an all-out assault, and I, I personally would not want to be here. I know you don't want to be here. So, I think that for this, we'll, we'll go ahead and close out. So, for now, this is William Rogers. I thank you so much uh, for listening to this and joining with me in this study of the book of Revelation. Please don't miss next week, because it pretty much sets the basis for chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 is going to be uh, wild. You're going to have to hold on to your seatbelt because there we're going to get into the economy of the Antichrist and what that looks like and how it has changed in the last, uh, I say, 15 or 20 years to where it takes on a whole different view and our focus as we, uh, we, as we take another look at that. But we'll, we'll get in that in the next week or two. And so for now, this is, uh, again, William Rogers thanking you for joining us, and uh, we will see you next time.